There really is a story behind every cup of coffee. Fred Plotkin is one of our favorite food and culture experts. He joins us now to tune us in to what a treat it is to understand the variety of ways people all across Europe prefer their coffee. Fred, it's great to have you back. Thank you. In your book, I read that when people ask, what do you bring home from your trips uh, as a gift, you say when you're in Italy or Vienna or Stockholm, the answer is coffee. So why would you bring coffee home and, and why from these places? Well, practical purposes are you can bring it home through customs, number one. Number two, if you bring it back in bean form to serious coffee people, they will then grind it at the moment they use it. But I will even buy ground and then vacuum pack coffee to bring it back. It's because it tastes good. It's because the roasting of the coffee is so important. What I find fascinating about coffee, and it may be my favorite topic of everything in the food world, is that let's take wine for comparison. If you make wine, you grow your grapes outside your door, you tend your grapes, you make your wine, you're more in control of everything. With coffee, let's say you have a coffee company in Trieste, and you want coffee from Brazil, Colombia, Ethiopia, India, Indonesia, any number of countries, Jamaica, Costa Rica, you have to hope that they will be properly grown in those countries. Then you transport them to Trieste in a way that they don't acquire mold en route. Then you inspect every bean. Then you roast them to your secret method of roasting. In Italy, there are 700 coffee companies, all of which do their own blending and roasting. And then you have to hope that it's been well-preserved and that then you properly grind it, you add the right amount of water, and you make a coffee from that. It's a miracle. It's a salmon swimming upstream that miraculously arrives in your cup. So when we get a little espresso, it's made of 50 beans, and all 50 have to be terrific and survive all of these rigors to get to your cup. Ultimately, it's about where it's grown and then how it's transported, but the transformation happens at the company in Vienna or in Trieste or or Stockholm Hmm. in how they're handled and how they're roasted, then how they're stored. So the Swedes like a milder, more aromatic coffee. The Southern Italians in Naples like an intense, very bracing coffee. The Triestines like it a little milder. The Viennese like it slightly spicy. What I do, for example, is I buy Dutch chocolate powder, Dutch cocoa powder, which is unsweetened. And when I make my coffee, I blend a little Swedish, a little Viennese, and a little Italian, mostly Italian. I add a dash of the cocoa powder, and I brew it that way. And people say, boy, this is good. And it's because it's a combination of the best attributes of all of those places. That makes me feel like I got to get my act together and appreciate these finer differences. Now, my friend, I know you live in Seattle, which (laughs) brags about being a coffee town. I love Seattle, but I beg to differ on that issue. And what is it about Seattle that's not a coffee town compared to Stockholm or Trieste? Because the famous company there that roasts coffee over-roasts because the perception is, and I think that this is an accurate perception, that we Americans like everything boosted in flavor, in fragrance, and so on. Is it kind of like somebody who just wants a full-bodied wine? 
or oak in their wine. Oak in their wine. White wine, so that you cannot taste the the grapes. You're tasting the oak. Okay. But similarly, by over-roasting, what we taste is the roasting and not the beans, not the coffee, not the essence, not the plant. So, Fred, when you drop into a cafe in your travels, somewhere in Italy, a cafe that that you don't know, but you can understand just because of the... um, quality of the place, that it knows what it's doing and it's got a sophisticated following that appreciates fine coffee. Is it sort of an adventure for you to, and then you drink the coffee and you go, oh, now that was kind of creative and, oh, I didn't expect this, or is it a predictable experience? It's never predictable because there are so many variables that can make you go wrong. But a proud bar owner anywhere in Italy will probably have a relationship with one coffee company. It might be one of the excellent big ones like Lavazzo or Ely, mm-hmm. but just as likely it'll be the local roaster hmm. appealing to local taste. And therefore, if I go to Umbria or to Bari or Torino or Genoa, for example, they're very different flavors based on local tastes. In Umbria, they like it a little milder. In Bari, they like it rather aggressive. And you learn about the people by tasting their coffee with them. So you could say that like you would drink a local beer, a local microbrew, you might want to go for the uh, local roasters as well? Exactly so. Because, I'm sorry, Lavazza and Italy are wonderful and you get them everywhere and I happily drink them. But often going to the little towns with their little roasters, you learn so much more about the people. Ah, that's very good advice. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Fred Plotkin. Fred's book is Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, and our phone number is 877-333-7425. Susan's on the line from Issaquah in Washington State. Hi, Susan. Hi, Rick. Thanks so much, and um, hope Fred comes out to Seattle sometime and comes coffee shopping with me, because Seattle is a coffee town. You just need to know where to go. So go, go beyond Starbucks, in other words. We've got smaller roasters. Many smaller roasters. Um, It's a very big home roasting community. And actually, I have a question for Fred that I've had for many, many years as a home roaster. Where do you think the roasters in Italy are sourcing their beans from? Because obviously they're not growing them in Italy, Spain, Sweden, or you mentioned Ethiopia, Do you think they're mostly South American, African? I know the answer. Coffee grows in the equatorial band above and below the equator so that you might find it in the Caribbean and in Central America. Colombia and parts of Brazil are on the equator. Most of the coffee growing in Brazil is in the southern part of the country, and it grows in West Africa, in East Africa, in Indonesia. I could give you a long lesson that we'll save for another time about how coffee got to all these places, but the key thing to know is that there are two varieties of coffee. There's Arabica, and the word in there is Arabic because it it began in Ethiopia, went then to what we now call Saudi Arabia. The other is Robusta, and Robusta grows in West Africa and to some degree in Colombia. When people make their coffee, They typically like the refinement, the whininess, let's call it, of Arabica, but they add some Robusta because Robusta gives structure, and it also creates in an espresso that crema, that orange foam on top. So you may choose to blend them. The French like a lot of Robusta. 
in part because their colonies in West Africa provide robusta. The Italians like more arabica. The Austrians mostly arabica with a bit of robusta and so on from culture to culture. And the sourcing is such that you have to look at the time of the year. It used to be that coffee was seasonal because most of it came from Brazil, which is the biggest producer in the world, Colombia being second. But then someone had the idea of planting coffee in India because India is the northern version climatically of Brazil. So now that Arabica comes 12 months of the year. It is balanced with a bit of Colombian, and then the smaller countries provide the personality. So if you like spiciness, it tends to come from Ethiopia. If you like a certain gratifying warmth, it comes from Costa Rica. So you taste what you like. The Dutch use a bit of Indonesian coffee in their coffee mixture. It's one place to another, and that's the great pleasure of coffee is that you can keep trying it for your whole life and you come up with different blends and mixtures. It's so personal. You're so entirely right about that, and I think you're telling me after eight years of being a home roaster, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> I'm, what I'm telling you is you have a lot of pleasure ahead of you. <laughs> That's a good way uh, to put it. Thank you. Susan, thank enjoy. You so enjoy your roasting thank and you. your tasting, Susan. Thanks for the call. I will. Thanks for taking it. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Fred Plotkin about coffee. And, of course, you've got to have the quality coffee. There's also just the culture and the experience, uh, the activity of it. When we think about coffee in Europe... Most of the drinks are espresso-based drinks, right? But you do have the Turkish style and Nescafe. Mm, I'm not even going to go to Nescafe, <laughs> which is a big commercial thing. But Turkish style, in other words, a filtered coffee where the grounds remain in the cup, you find that to some degree in Greece and in the Balkans. The big story here, again, it's a history lesson that we'll keep brief, is that the Turks, the Ottomans, and the Austrian Empire, the Habsburgs, did battle in 1683, and ultimately Austria prevailed after losing to the Turks all the time. The Turks fled, went back to Constantinople, leaving bags of coffee and phyllo dough at the gates of Vienna. The Austrians looked at the phyllo dough and said, let's put apples in that, let's put cheese in that, or apricots, and thus was born strudel. And the, the Austrians figured out how to grind and brew these beans in a different way, not in the Turkish way, and that led to filter coffee. It was the Italians, who often were dominated by the Austrians, who invented espresso, which doesn't mean fast. To express in a machine is to push through with energy. And so the water is expressed through the ground beans to create that little inky, magnificent, delicious liquid. Cappuccino, cappuccio means a hood. And if you think of the capuchin monks, the brown hoods, that hood of milk, that foam milk that goes on top of the espresso is simply designed to make it more palatable to people who wouldn't drink straight espresso. But the culture of coffee is that you sit, you buy a cup, and you sit at a cafe in Paris, in Venice, and it's yours for as long as you want it, the table, that is. And so it fosters discussion, reflection, philosophy, debate, disagreement, and coffee clubs. Whether in New York there's something called the Coffee House, which is 100 years old, it's a discussion group. Whether in London, where coffee was used for discussions, 
or in Venice or any cafe, you gather for coffee, your mind would be stimulated, all the synapses fire, and suddenly you're more interesting than you were five minutes before. Coffee does have that uh, relationship to people getting together and and, uh, discussing, whether it's high culture or whether it's gossip or whether it's revolution. Coffee shops, cafes kind of go hand in hand with that, don't they? They do. And as you know, although my accent doesn't always show it, I'm from New York where we have coffee talk. And we sit around with a coffee clutch and talk about things for hours. I'm using my accent now. <laughs> ah, yeah. With good coffee. What are a couple of your favorite coffee shops, not necessarily for the quality of the coffee, but just for the elegance of the experience and the, and the history that's all around you? Because for me, when I travel, almost every city has a venerable coffee shop, and, and I just like to sit there and, and be surrounded by all that heritage. There's a beautiful one in Trieste that opened in 1914 called the Café San Marco. And it remains beautiful because Trieste has a long history of writers. Zvevo, James Joyce, many writers. And the tradition, even now, is that Triestine writers such as Claudio Magris, a leading Italian writer, write in cafes. And he goes to the Café San Marco and sits for hours at a table, Mm -hmm. not with a computer, but with writing, Mm -hmm. drinking coffee. People leave him alone. Mm. So it's a classic writer's cafe. Mm. In Torino, in Turin, there's the Café Mulasano, which is near the opera house. It's a beauty from about 110 years ago that you go in for a quick coffee, but the room is gorgeous. Mm. It's not pretentious. It's just gorgeous. And there you go in for a quick cup, unlike the one in Trieste. In Vienna, you have all of these wonderful cafes that you go in. They've got the newspapers there and the beautiful pastries. And you even even have a whole, almost like a whole dialect of how you order the coffee. They do because there are so many different kinds of coffees in Vienna. One called a mocha does not have chocolate in it. It's just a certain Mm -hmm. length of coffee. But I like Demel, D-E-M-E-L, because they have fantastic pastry. Remember, the Austrians have the genius of combining coffee and cake. The Italians just have coffee. One of my most tragic views in all of my travels was in uh, Demel. I believe it was Demel. It was 5 o'clock. The day was over, and they were throwing out all the pastries that didn't get sold. They don't, oh. they don't sell them the next day, but they have this ritual at 5 of emptying everything on the shelves and putting it right into this big garbage can. And I just thought, no, give it to the people on the street. <laughs> but they wouldn't do that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do, I do. I feel it, Rick. You know, the Viennese, they used to be the world power, you know, and they had the big military and everything, but they lost, uh, started in lost World War One. In a way, they that was victory because now they can focus on what's really important in life, great pastries. Cake and opera. Great coffees and great <laughs> opera. But I, there's something, too, having been dethroned as the big superpower where you really can have a shorter work week and live longer. True. Very nice. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Elliot's calling in from uh, Nebraska. Elliot, thanks for your call. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for your call. Do you have a comment on coffee for Fred? Well, one summer ago, I was uh, in Germany, specifically the uh, Northwest, and that is where I got my very first taste of coffee. And? Well, you see, at home, my family did not have a coffee maker, so... And I really wasn't interested in having the coffee, but um, I took it just to be polite, and boy, it was strong. (laughs) Yes, it's strong. So you were vibrating all day long. Fred, does Germany have particularly strong coffee? 
Well, Germany is a nation of 80 million people, and it borders on Scandinavia on one side, France on another, Austria on another, and they manage to get to Italy all the time, so that it incorporates all those traditions. The Germans drink a lot of coffee. They drink it long, let's say, the way the Americans drink it long as opposed to a short cup. And they drink it as a beverage. When I go to offices in Germany, there's always a big kettle of coffee on, and they drink it all the day. So it's more a beverage Hmm. than something they savored the way we've been talking about with the Austrians, the Italians, and others. Elliot, thanks for your call. We've talked about Italy, we've talked about Germany, we've, we've talked about Vienna. Uh, you even talk about Stockholm in, in your writing about coffee, and we don't think of Scandinavia in terms of that, but I know the Scandinavians have this tradition of the fika, where they have to have their coffee break with a nice uh, sweet roll. Sweet roll made with cardamom in Sweden. Uh, the northern peoples, which used to say the Finns and the Swedes, consume more coffee than anyone else in the world. Hmm. Not the Italians, as you might think, hmm. but it's the northern peoples. So what's your best coffee tip, Fred, just to to close off our discussion here? When we're going to be traveling and you want to appreciate the culture through the coffee, what's your tip? Use your nose. Uh, It sounds like a joke, but it's not. You can smell when a shop makes good coffee. And if something smells a bit amiss, don't go in there. Just go on to the next one. I tend to go to coffee bars that are very busy, not because it tells me that people like it, But if you use a machine more, it makes better, fresher taste your coffee. Good advice. Fred Plotkin, author of Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, thanks for your insight into appreciating the fine coffees of the world. Thank you, Rick. Talking to you caffeinates me. (laughs) Let's talk more. Good. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.